Welcome to the podcast for Westside A Jesus Church. We hope this teaching encourages and empowers you to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus. We are going to jump right into, the, into our text this morning. If you need a Bible, though, go ahead and throw your hand up. We've got some ushers, men and women, who'd love to get a Bible into your hand. If you don't have one, you're welcome to keep this one. Um, but I'm going to start actually just jumping into a couple texts really quick before we go to our main text today. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. As we relate to each other, as we connect with each other, talk to each other, do that relational thing that we do, we're supposed to have the same mind as Jesus, our King. Who being in very nature God, that was, he was like made of the God stuff. He was God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Equality in in power, equality in position. He didn't leverage his God nature. Rather, he made himself nothing. He, He emptied himself. He set aside his God power by taking the very nature of a servant. He he emptied himself, he set aside his God position being made in human likeness. He became like us, made of the same stuff as us, still fully God, but now also fully human. And being found in the appearance of as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus came from his throne in heaven all the way down to earth to become like us, human, like us, and then go even further to die a criminal's death, to to take on that, that horrible thing that's happened to our humanity, this thing that we call death. Now, God would later, uh, you know, return to him honor and authority and power, and, and he will be our king with all, all of the world finally at some point in time bowing to him. But one of the primary aims of the incarnation of Jesus becoming flesh was him re-walking the path of those first humans as a model of his new family. Let me say that again. One of the primary aims of the incarnation was Jesus re-walking the path of those first humans as a model for his new family. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be human, fruitful, submitted to God's purposes, walking in humility, walking in love, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Last week, Shelby did this amazing job of describing what it means to follow the way of Jesus. She explained that Jesus, fully human and fully God, set aside his God card and chose to live a life attentive to his Father, attentive to the Spirit's leading. But Jesus still went around doing all these amazing things, bearing fruit, you know, exampling for us what partnership looked like, dependence and empowerment with the Spirit. Shelby shared this really important quote by William Berry. William Berry says this, if Jesus is superhuman, then I can admire him, but I don't have to take serious his call to emulate him. I can never be a superhuman being. To the extent Jesus lived within his humanity and relied on the divine power of the Father and the Spirit, to that extent, Jesus can genuinely be an example that we can emulate. 
again. Jesus, he rewalks this path of these of our first human Adam and Eve grandparents, and he models for us what family looks like. And this is of first importance to us in our 24-7 ordinary lives because as I mentioned in work in week one, we all have this like deep thirst inside of us, this hunger. We were created with this longing to drink deeply from the divine. We were created to be in relationship with the God of the universe. But there's more to our thirst. Our story starts with the first humans, Adam and Eve, in a garden called Delight, naked and unashamed. They lived in unscarred relationship with each other and with God and with their purpose. Genesis 1, 27 says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God creates us for relationship with him and each other. And then he says, my son, my daughter, go, be fruitful. Make something amazing of this world. More than just the command to go and have babies, though, that certainly was included. It was a call to take the raw materials of the universe and co-create new people, art, languages, organizations, parks, food, neighborhoods, single-origin dark chocolate. Like, go forth and make amazing things, God is saying. And we feel it, don't we? In those moments, in those quiet moments, that little scratching on the inside of our heart, make a difference. Nurture that child. Grow that company. Expand our father's influence. Be fruitful and multiply. Our problem is that we, we live in this world right now that is force-feeding us these two like demonic narcotics. The first one is this hyper-individualistic mantra that keeps saying, it's all about me. It's my world, my purposes, my happiness, my kingdom. We are slowly, as humanity, losing the ability to follow Jesus in his humble path of laying down me. But the second Narcotic is this constant deluge of information, entertainment, and stuff. Our brains are like super saturated. Our lives are overstimulated. And it's almost impossible to make sense of this unmet thirst that, that turns inside of us. And when we do get that moment of quiet on our Monday morning commute suddenly, we're left wondering, is there anything in this universe that can actually meet that deeper thirst for relationship, that deeper hunger for meaning? Before Jesus goes to the cross, he begins to focus in and spend more time with his disciples, teaching them and equipping them and, and helping them become who he, who he sees them to be. He knew he was leaving. And remember, he was our model. And so in John 15, he paints this beautiful picture to his disciples 
I'd love to encourage you to take open your Bibles. We're going to flip open to John 15. It's a very familiar passage. John 15, verses 1, says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you so much for the opportunity and the moment to be able to open up the scriptures and hear from you. Jesus, our vine, Father, our vine dresser, would you be the one that teaches us and molds us today? Would you be the one that speaks and causes us to become more like you envisioned us to be? We open up our hands, we open up our hearts and say, your servants are listening. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. John 15 is this well-known, deeply poetic passage that kind of paints this picture of Jesus as the vine and kind of these three distinct relationships that are attached to the vine. The first one is the gardener or the father. The gardener or or the vine dresser, as some translations will say, is the one that's responsible for the garden making sure that the vine is growing and, and, and becoming everything that it needs to be. And the father isn't sitting back, you know, just kind of letting it do whatever it wants. No, he's active. He's attentive. He, he prunes with really specific intentions to help the vine become all that it can be, to be as fruitful as it can be. Now, I have to confess, I don't know anything about growing things. In fact, I might be more described as a black thumb Pretty much, if you've got something that you want to kill, just let me know. Uh, If it was green initially, it won't be by the time I'm done with it. But over the years, I have been able to see kind of some of the effectiveness of pruning. In fact, actually, the home that we live in right now, we've lived in for just about a year and a half. And so we've been through kind of two, like, growing cycles. And when we moved in, the owners had clearly taken very good care of this beautiful plum tree that we have on our property. It's like those golden plums. They're like super sweet and delicious, amazing. And last year, the thing produced hundreds, I mean, so many that there was no way to like eat them all. And they, they were amazing, I mean, amazing. And, and I honestly, like I was like, I was anticipating this year, right? Well, what's gonna happen this year? Well, apparently, if you don't take care of a tree, what happens is it turns into this beautiful, green, lush thing with very little fruit on it, actually. And that's kind of what it looks like today. If you were to go up and you see it today, you see it looks beautiful. It's filled with leaves, but there's not very much 
fruit on it. Because a good gardener, a good vine dresser, cares for a plant. And very rarely, uh, if, he, if he's, he or she's doing her job right, they're not going to be lobbing off giant branches. They're normally going after those little suckers, the, the things that draw nourishment away from the fruit. This is like our Father, attentive to us, pulling away, drawing away those little suckers that, that pull from fruitfulness, that pull from us becoming who he sees us to be. Sometimes our pain and our confusion is actually our Father's intentional pruning. Him doing a work in us. Remember, he has a vision for your life. I mean, right now, if, if we sat in this place, can you think of one spot in your own life where, where the Father might be pruning right now? Anything come to mind? A place where maybe God is doing something new in you? The second relationship that we see is between the vine and its branches, right? That's us, disciples, people who want to be connected to Jesus and follow in his way. And what's remarkable about this is that the vine itself isn't just producing the fruit. For some amazing reason, Jesus chooses to partner with us. He chooses to use branches of all things. Instead of just producing the fruit off of the vine, he says, remain with me. In fact, it's very clear. Apart from me, you can do nothing, verse 5 says. And we are so much like branches, but in some ways we're different than a branch, aren't we? Because we actually can slide away. I mean, you take a branch off of a vine and it quickly starts to die. But for some reason in our humanity, we think we're different. And so spaces can begin to be created between us and the vine, can't they? Can you think of a place in your life where maybe you've allowed a space to form between you and Jesus, where fruitfulness is beginning to dwindle because there's space between you and the vine. The third relationship that we see here in this passage is that between uh, the vine and its fruit or, or lack thereof. It's clear that the purpose and hope of this vine is that it would bear fruit or that it would be fruitful, but it's also clear that the fruitfulness is completely dependent on its connection to the vine. Again, Jesus is super clear. In order for there to be fruit, we must be connected. And in the weeks ahead, we're gonna see that actually fruitfulness isn't just about like numbers. It's, it's about transformation and change, about equipping us to become the people the Father envisions us to be. Our fruit is the fruit of character. It's the fruit of relationship, and it's the fruit of mission. Remember, we were created to be fruitful and multiply. That is the call that God puts on us, and it's why we feel that wrestling in our souls, desire to bear fruit. In light of that reality, can you, can you think of a place in your own life, even right now, where you might be seeing some of God's fruit forming? like the early stage of those plums on my tree, you can see that God is starting to grow something beautiful in you. Sometimes these questions, these, these ideas, they help us as we grow as a disciple because this is a path of intention. God's doing something on purpose in us, not accidental. Now, 
It needs to be said, and you are probably going to get sick of us saying this over and over again, but the Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not like the, 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 even the sap in a, in a vine moving through the vine. No, it's, it's, it's this personal relationship that we see between us and a being. Our connection to the vine is through the Holy Spirit. He guides us into fruitfulness and into life. And this is one of the reasons why John keeps using this one word over and over again. The NIV, it's the word remain. and the ESV, it's the word abide. Abide or remain, it comes from the idea of menate. The root word is meno. And it, it's used over 120 times in the New Testament. It's very common. And it, it carries with it this idea of like, being in a place and time with anticipation, being fully present at home, but with expectancy. There's loads of examples in the scriptures. And at Matthew 10, verse 11, Jesus calls, sends out his disciples to go and, and to expand his message. And when he says, when you find a home that's worthy, abide there, stay there, remain in that place. Mark 14, verse 34, beautiful kind of sorrowful scene of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane praying. And he asks his disciples, will you abide with me? Will you remain with me as I pray and pour out my heart to the Father? Luke 19 verses five, Jesus looks up into a tree and he sees this guy named Zacchaeus and says, today Zacchaeus, I'm gonna come and abide in your home. We're gonna have a big party together. We're gonna do relationship together in your house. I'm going to abide Zacchaeus. On the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, verses 29, we, we see the disciples walking along and they don't even know that they're talking to Jesus and they're like, wait, wait, don't go, go, come and stay with us, abide with us. And John, John uses the word abide in all sorts of ways, but they carry with it some of the very similar con uh, concepts. The Spirit abided or remained in Jesus after his baptism. Allow that to seek in. The Spirit made a, an abode. It abided inside of Jesus. God's word, according to John 5, 38, can abide or not abide in a person. And shockingly, John 6, verses 56 says, the person who eats the flesh and drinks the blood of Jesus, the communion experience, abides in him. So abiding can carry with it like this internalization of information, but it's way more of a relational concept. It's predominantly about being with someone. And it involves dwelling and dialoguing back and forth in an active sense, like a conversation, our thoughts, our feelings. Not a taskmaster working through a list, more like a conversation with a trusted mentor who loves us and knows us and has a vision for our future. Now, with, with all of that said, I'd like to read this passage over you one more time. And I want to invite you, I know it's a little dangerous. I, I mean, you've hopefully had a cup of coffee at this point in time, but I want to invite you to close your eyes. And I want you just to listen to this passage. I'm going to read John 15 again, this time from the ESV. And I want you to allow what we just talked about to sink in and think about what it is that Jesus is actually saying. John 15, verses 1 through 8 says this. 
I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The thing is, Relationships, like conversations, go two ways. They always have two sides. You know, it's interesting. We had for a number of years, like a gap year slash kind of college experience that we had here at the church. And so often in our first, with our first year students, it was the same question we came back to time and time again. And that question was, what does God's voice sound like? I mean, if I'm listening, what am I listening for? And I, I've, I get it, because like, I have friends, and there's other pastors that I know that would tell you, like, I don't know that I've ever heard God's voice. And I grew up, I got, my father's a lawyer. I grew up with this natural skepticism inside of me. Anytime I heard that phrase, God told me. But I also know that there are times when God has clearly led me when I get impressions or ideas or, or there were convictions or encouragements and I definitely believed in prayer. And I could see all these examples throughout scripture, right? I mean, there's this example of Samuel as a little boy and he's like, he's trying to go to sleep and God keeps calling out for him and it's so familiar to him that he thinks it's Eli. God, is that you? Is that you? Or, or later on when Jesus would say, like, my sheep, they know the sound of my voice, and they follow me when I call to them. I mean, just in a quick, like, I sat down really quickly and just thought really briefly about, like, what, how many times does God speak to people in the Bible? And there's a huge list. There's a huge list. And this is just, like, off the top of my head. As a younger believer, I began to wonder to myself, are there places where God is like actually speaking to me? And if I could become more attentive, if there was a way for me to grow in understanding what his voice sounded like, could I hear from him more often? I remember um, I was in the middle of wrestling. This is a number of years back. Brittany and I were still a part of a missions organization at that time. 
And, uh, and, I, and I was wrestling with it in that season. What, is it, what does God's voice sound like? What does it mean to hear from him? And we were at this conference, and I remember from the stage, we're kind of sitting in our chairs, and somebody got up on the stage. I don't even think they were supposed to be up there. They grabbed the mic and said, hey, I feel like God has told me. Oh, all my skeptic lights went off. Skeptic, God told me, God told me. Skeptic lights went off. I feel like God told me that, that we're supposed to be encouraging one another here at this conference. It's about 400 missionaries. And, and he, says, he says, I want you right now just to stop and think of one person. So I do. I stop. I kind of close my eyes. I think of one person. And immediately the first person that comes to my mind is this guy named Tom. Now, Tom, you have to imagine him a little bit. He was a little larger than life. He looked like a cross between like Prince Charming from Shrek and like Fabio, Okay. It's about six foot four, long flowing hair, barrel chested, yet skinny waisted. I mean, a little intimidating, if I'm going to be honest, okay? Kind of the perfect specimen, okay? And, and I'm like, Tom, really? Tom? God, there's got to be another person. There's like 400 people here. Come on. He's like, no, Tom, that's the guy. I'm like, oh, man. Okay, Lord, what, what do you want me to say? That was the next thing. What, do, what, do you, what does he want you to say? And the first word that popped in my mind was just the word fly. I'm like, great, God. I'm going to go to Tom and say fly. <laughs> so we had a little bit more of the conference time that we had to go through. And the whole time I'm trying to run through scenarios about how I can sneak my way out of this. And I'm like, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out the side door. And if I happen to bump into him on my way back to our cabin space that we're staying at, then I'll know that you want me to talk to him. Gideon's fleece. So I get out and I walk through and I'm trying to like kind of sneakily make my way through. Open up the door, the side of the conference space, there shouldn't be anybody there. And who is walking across the parking lot straight towards me? Tom. He's locked on eyes with me. It's been a while since we've seen each other. He's like, Tim, how are you doing? Da, 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 da. I was like, hey, Tom, were, were you in the conference? And he's like, he's like, yeah, wasn't that great? I'm like, yeah. I feel like maybe God told me to tell you something, maybe. He's like, oh, that'd be great. I was like, but, I was like, but, but if you don't have time for it right now, that's totally fine. And he's like, no, 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 come on, let's go. I got all the time in the world right now. It's been so long. So, so we go to this little coffee shop area and we sit down and we start chatting. And I'm like, okay, God, here we go. Um, Tom, and I had written it down at this point. Tom, he, here's the word. And take this with a grain of salt, Tom. This could have been nothing at all, at all. But here you go. And I slid the little piece of paper with just that three-letter word, fly, on it. And he picks it up off the barrel chest, picks it off the table, he looks down at it, and his head drops. And tears start coming down the side of his face. And finally, I, I noticed he's like literally crying. And you know that tingly feeling? Like, it goes still. This is a holy space. He's, he shares with me, he says, Tim, the last several years I've been going to counseling and I have just been so lost. The last time I was with my counselor, my counselor said to me, Tom, I feel like, like you're all bound up. It's like, it's like you're, you're, a, you're a caterpillar or a butterfly inside of a cocoon. And Tom, God just wants to say to you, it's time to fly. My friends, God speaks. He talks to us. He converses with us. He has things that are on his heart. It's a relationship. 
And remember, we were created for that relationship. He actually shaped us and formed us for it. It's why we've got this crazy capacity for communication. And we know that communication is the primary way we strengthen relationships. And it's not just one way. I mean, God speaks in so many ways. Creation, angels, the miraculous, the scriptures, in dreams, and sometimes even with an audible voice from the heavens. In fact, one of the first things we learn about God is that he's the God who speaks, literally speaking creation into existence. Jesus is often called the word, right? Which can be kind of confusing because we use that idea to, de to describe the scriptures also. But, but actually what, the, what John is saying in his gospel is that Jesus is God's spoken voice. Jesus takes us a step further even in John 14 where he says these words, if you love me, Keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The word cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives within you and will be with you. Jesus tells us that he's leaving us an advocate, a helper, someone to help us understand God's voice, help us to hear from him. And that spirit, he, he guides us like a still, small voice leading us forward. Can you, any guess as to what word he lives with you is in the Greek? Meno, abide. The spirit will abide in you relate to you, communicate to you. So often we come to God in our moments of desperation with our lists and our requests, asking for provision and direction, and yet we never wait for the answer. I wonder how often his provision of strength has been just right there, but we've missed it. He keeps speaking, though. He keeps speaking. A number of weeks back, the elders came to Brittany and I and asked us if we would consider being the lead team here, that I would step on as the lead pastor. And you know, I needed to go away and think about it. I had to ask God, Lord, what do you, what do you want to do in this situation? We love this place, but Lord, is this, is this still what you want to do? And I remember, and this is where God speaks, folks, okay? Sometimes it's like burning bush, but sometimes it's in your car on the way to Home Depot. <laughs> and that's where I was. I, actually, just coming back from Home Depot with all the supplies. Remember, I'm still in a big remodel, okay? Driving along. And, I, and I'm like, God, I don't know what, what I want to do. I don't know what you want me to do. I need you to lead me. And he cut straight through it and said, do you trust me? And I was like, Lord, you, you know I trust you. I, I don't know if I trust me. I don't know if I trust my circumstances. And he cut through again as clear as a bell. Do you trust me? And it felt a little like that Peter moment. The third time, I'm like, my heart is feeling like, Lord, you know I trust you. And then he said it one more time, do you trust me? 
And I knew in that moment that my answer was yes. And God still speaks. He still calls to us. The question is, how do we learn to listen better? And for that, I'd like to invite up on stage a good friend of mine who is just back from having a little one, which I don't want to stare any thunder, but my friends, you welcome Molly Inman. She's pastor of prayer information. Molly, why don't you show, talk to us about how to take care of that. All right. Thanks, Tim. Guys, it's good to be back. Um, I want to spend this last 10 minutes in a really practical place because Tim has so beautifully laid out the invitation to hear God's voice. And it's a beautiful invitation. But oftentimes, we leave a space like this inspired to hear God's voice without any of the practical tools of what it might look like to go embark on this journey of growing a communication relationship with God. And so that's why I'm here, to take 10 minutes of your time to lay out some healthy and helpful tools in your toolkit for when it comes to leaning into hearing God's voice. So if you are a note taker, keep that pen and uh, paper out. If you're not a note taker, now's a great time to start. Grab that pen, grab that paper. We're gonna be going through some really practical things. But our starting place, as we enter into the discipline and the delight of hearing God's voice, is one of obedience. In John chapter 2, there's this beautiful story of Jesus and his disciples and his mother attending a wedding in Cana. And so they're here at this wedding, and something is going horrifically wrong. They have run out of wine. This is so socially embarrassing for that time. And so Mary leans over to Jesus and says, They've run out of wine, knowing what he is capable of. And Jesus turns back to her and says, woman, what does this have to do with me? And he walks off, and Mary leans over to his disciples, and, he says, and she says five words to these disciples, and I want us to carry these five words with us as well. He says, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. This is our foundation when it comes to hearing God's voice. It's one of obedience. Do whatever he tells you. And so, when we talk about hearing God's voice, we often want to ask the question, what are some ways that he speaks? And the first way, the easiest way that um, I can kind of gently guide us into that is that he speaks through his scriptures, through the word of God, the logos. But I want to caution you for just a moment. We don't just read the word of God for information. It is not just a textbook. That's a word for me. I spent eight years, both in undergrad and in my master's, studying Bible and theology. And that book turned into a textbook really quickly. And so when I graduated uh, last year, I needed to take a big hard break from studying the word through an academic lens for information. And one of the most life-giving practices that I stumbled upon was one called Lectio Divina. It's a fancy way of saying a divine reading of scripture. And this practice helps us turn from reading the word of God from information to conversation and revelation, that God actually wants to reveal stuff about himself, about us, about his character, nature, and mission through a slow meditation of scripture, asking the Holy Spirit to guide us. So if you're curious about this practice, I wanna invite you, Tuesday morning, we're actually gonna do a corporate Lectio Divina practice, Tuesday at 9 a.m. in this garage, we have Tuesday morning prayer, and we're kinda of taking it over, and we're gonna be doing a Lectio Divina practice. Come join us. It's a beautiful practice to embark on. 
But our invitation as we hear God speak through his scriptures is to allow the scriptures to be a jumping off point for our conversation with God. Another way that God speaks is through his words, his rhema is what the Greek says. It's the inner thoughts of the Holy Spirit. It's the sense of God's voice burning inside of us. It's not necessarily audible, but it's that still, small voice heard in the realm of our thoughts, our mind, and our spirit. And when we say still, small voice, um, one of the best stories to kind of uh, capture this still, small voice is 1 Kings 19. I'm gonna summarize it for you. I'd encourage you to go read it. It's a wonderful story. But Elijah has just gotten done doing crazy spiritual warfare with the gods of Baal. He's exhausted, and so he falls asleep under a tree, eats some cake, he does some stuff, and then heads up to a cave where he's anticipating that he is going to hear from God. And as he anticipates that he is going to hear from God, he's expecting that God's going to come in some powerful and supernatural way, maybe through fire, wind, tornadoes, whatever it might look like. But God is not in those places. And finally, after all of these natural disasters are happening before his eyes, it says that God's voice was a still, small voice. The inner thoughts. Paul summarizes it really well in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit is who is from God, so that we might understand what God has freely given us. Who knows the deep things of God? The Holy Spirit. We have been given the Holy Spirit. We get to know the deep things of God. We have been given the mind of Christ. He wants a conversational relationship with us. So how do we get to hear the deep things of God, the ingredients of God's heart through the Holy Spirit? And he has freely given that to us as a gift, as an advocate to help us understand what God's voice sounds like. Some other ways that God speaks is through others. Sometimes someone might have a word just like Tim had a word for Tom, encouraging us, strengthening us, bringing us comfort as 1 Corinthians 14 says. A word of caution on this, we're gonna look to people as much as they're looking to Jesus, as much as they're looking to Jesus and reading the scriptures faithfully. And we always test that word, which we're gonna talk about in just a moment, how to test a word to see if it is from God. But another way that God speaks is through other people. Another way, dreams and visions. We see this all throughout the scriptures, and I've got a good friend She hears from God pretty much on the daily through her dreams. She keeps a dream journal next to her pillow, and she wakes up with revelation from God. She writes it down, and God speaks to her through her dreams. And she's developed this relationship, so she knows now what that looks like and what that sounds like. And in the beginning, I'm sure, she was just writing things down even if they didn't make sense. But as it has evolved, she's been able to recognize this dream is from God. Sometimes people receive pictures. There are so many ways in which God speaks to us through his words, his rhema. But it's not a matter of if God speaks, but how he speaks to you. It is not a gift given to some, it is a skill on offer for all, every single person in this room. But a skill that takes refinement and development. 
Now, I want to share a quick story with you. So I just had a baby about three months ago, and during uh, my pregnancy, my husband Jake would talk to my tummy, as I'm sure you've seen happen, or maybe you've done this yourself, just so that our little boy could get to know his voice. So every day he would say something, something about his identity and character and nature, and then sometimes he would just be super weird because it's Jake, and he would say weird stuff. I'm like, why are you telling our unborn son that? But that's okay. And when he's born, we had to go through a few tests on his first and second day of life. They had to draw some blood from his heel. And obviously that was an uncomfortable experience for our son, Theo. And so when they pricked his heel, he immediately starts crying with the big lungs that God gave him. It's very loud. And <laughs> as he's crying and screaming, Jake leans down to his ear and says, it's okay, Theo, it's okay, Theo. And his face, his countenance immediately goes from red, crying, frustrated and in pain to at peace. That was not the first time that he had heard his father's voice. He was able to recognize his father's voice because his father had been continually speaking to him for nine months. That is the invitation on offer. That God's voice is as close as your ear. He's speaking to you all the time. You may have already heard God's voice, even if you wanna say to me, I've never heard from God. I bet you he has. He's speaking to us always. The invitation is to tune in and to recognize the sound of his voice by listening to it. So how do we know if we're listening and we think maybe we've heard a word from God, maybe he shared something with us, how do we make sure, how do we know that it is from God? Well, I've got some guidelines, some, some uh, boundary lines, if you will, to help us flourish in this practice, in this skill of listening and hearing from God. The first, is it in line with God's word, the Bible? It will not contradict scripture. God's voice will not go against or contrary to the words he's provided for us in the word of God. So does it line up with scripture? And I'm not talking about, can you find one individual verse that matches the exact word that came to your mind? Not necessarily, but are there the themes of the scriptures that emerge as we read it cover to cover? Does it line up with scripture? Another uh, principle, does it glorify Jesus and bring you closer to God? If it's bringing glory to yourself, if it's bringing glory to another person, probably not from God. We are not gonna elevate ourselves as we go through this practice of hearing from God. Does it glorify Jesus, bring him glory? And does it drive intimacy? Does it drive you deeper into the heart of God? Number three, does it witness in your spirit and with the spirit of God? That's a fancy way of saying, do you have peace about it? And another boundary line or a guard uh, that goes with that is when you share it with your community, do they have peace about it? Oftentimes, if we are doing this practice independent of doing it in community, our voice starts to sound a whole lot like, or God's voice, excuse me, starts to sound a whole lot like our voice. We wanna hear how other people are hearing from God and share that with our community. Do they have peace about it? And then finally, we're remembering who God is. He speaks truth with clarity. He is not a God of confusion. He brings clarity. His voice is clear. So if you walk away and you feel some sort of separation from God, from others, or even from yourself, that's the voice of the enemy. That is not God. 
The voice of God drives intimacy. It drives peace and it brings you closer to the heart of God. So friends, the goal here is to glorify Christ and to drive intimacy, not to appear more spiritual, to receive attention. The scriptures are clear. The Pharisees, they pray on street corners so that others might hear them. They have received their reward. Our invitation is to hear from God in order that we might drive an intimacy, an intimacy with God a conversation with God, communion with God. Dallas Willard puts this really well. He says, the union that Christ had with the Father was the greatest that we can conceive of in this life, if indeed we can conceive of it. Yet we have no indication that even Jesus was constantly awash with revelations as to what he should do. His union with the Father was so great that he was at all times obedient all times obedient. This obedience was something that rested in his mature will and understanding of his life before God. Not always on being told, now do this, now do that, with regard to every detail of his life and work. His union with the Father was so deep, so intimate, that it didn't necessarily look like the Father saying, now turn left, now turn right. Jesus knew what to do because he was so deeply in tune with his union with God. That is our goal, to be so deeply tucked into the heart of God, remaining, being at home in the presence of God like John 15 says, that we might know what his voice sounds like and then we, we might respond with obedience to do whatever he tells you. So we're gonna practice this right now. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes. We're gonna do a simple practice. And as you close your eyes, we're just gonna ask God this one question. God, what do you want me to know about you? What do you want me to know about your character, your nature? What do you want me to know about you? And we're not gonna overthink this. Whatever comes to mind, write it down. We've got our list that we can test it later. God, what do you want me to know about you? And the second question, God, what do you want me to know about me? What do you want me to know about me? Maybe it's that I'm loved, that I'm worthy of love, that I'm seen, that I'm known by God. Again, we're not gonna overthink it. What comes to mind, write it down. We have the mind of Christ. God, we thank you that you are a God that speaks. 
that your heart is for deep and intimate relationship with your people, with your sons and with your daughters. And so you are generous to share the ingredients of your heart with us by your Holy Spirit. You wanna speak to us. So speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Help us grow in recognizing the sound of your voice by continually and always tuning into it. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from Westside at Jesus Church. If you've been blessed by our ministry and would like to partner with us through giving, please visit westsideajc.org give.